Hi, how are you doing? It's quite early on a warm morning, what promises to be a blazingly hot August day. And I've set out from home where I've left two workmen toiling away at the end of my garden repairing a ditch. I don't envy them. To do what's become one of my favourite walks. It's one I discovered during lockdown. And it takes me out of the village, through the next village, and then up what passes in Suffolk for a hill. Then you can get some good views back across beautiful open farmland with golden fields of wheat and barley. And then you come back down and through my favourite of the local farms. It's a real glimpse of old Suffolk. My name's Melissa Harrison, and I'm a novelist and nature writer who lives in rural Suffolk. Through the rest of summer and into autumn, I'm going to help you keep in touch with the natural world and the changing seasons. Welcome to episode 18 of The Stubborn Light of Things. tell you what, you don't really register it as a hill on the foot, but if I'd been on the Duchess, I probably would have got off. It's one of those shallow but very, very long rises that seems to go on forever. But from where I'm standing now, I can look out across acres and acres and acres of Suffolk farmland, and there's been such a change in the last couple of weeks. I can already see some fields have been ploughed back to brown and the hay meadows have been cut so um, they look sort of tan and um, sun bleached and there are still quite a lot of fields of wheat and barley yet to be combined and it's been quite tricky trying to work out um, when that's going to happen because obviously I wanted to Um, talk to you about it in the podcast and so I've been keeping a really close eye. Um, Some fields have already come in but I I knew that there were areas, there's an airfield near me um, and I knew that their their wheat was ahead of ours. I've been watching it, watching it turn. So I reckon our village fields have got about another week to go. That's my judgment anyway, although knowing my luck I'll be walking along and suddenly I'll hear the rumble of combines in the distance and I'll have to change Change the whole plan for the episode. Um, you may be wondering where Scout is. She's gone back to London for the time being. and She's having a lovely time. But don't worry, um, lockdown's permitting. She'll be back in a few weeks' time. I've just found, I'm just going to bend down and pick that up, beautiful buzzard's feather. Lovely. I shall tuck that away. And, uh, and carry on with my walk. It really is blazingly hot, you know, especially with headphones on. I've got hot ears. Anyway, on we go. 
The world has changed unimaginably in the last 250 years. And there are so many things about the way we live now that Gilbert White wouldn't have recognised and would have been astonished by. But it's comforting to know that a lot of the things that he was noting in his diaries are still happening today. Here are his diary entries from today, August the 3rd. August the 3rd, 1770. Sweet day, vast dew. Somewhat of an autumnal temperament seems to take place. Young Martins come out. August the 3rd, 1772. Redbreast sings. Hops are perfectly free from distemper and promise a moderate crop. August the 3rd, 1775. Female viper taken full of young, 15 in number. They gaped and menaced as soon as they were out of the belly of their dam. August the 3rd, 1781. Now the ants, male, female and workers, come forth from under my stairs by thousands. August the 3rd, 1783. The aphids of various species that make many trees and plants appear loathsome, have served their generation and are gone. No more to be seen this year. Perhaps all are dead. Thistledown flies. August the 3rd, 1785. Harvest bugs are troublesome. Flycatcher in Mr Mulso's garden that seem to have a nest of young. August the 3rd, 1789. Wheat reaped at Rockley ripening weather. August the 3rd, 1791. Somewhat of a chilly feel begins to prevail in the mornings and evenings. Men hoe turnips and hack peas. Men house hay as black as old thatch. Oh, one of my favourite horse ponds is completely dry. I've been watching the water level fall and now there's just sort of algae and slime and quite a lot of flies dancing in shafts of sunlight, but no water. I love these ponds They're dotted all over the Suffolk landscape. I love what they tell us about the way the land was worked. I love thinking about the big Suffolk punches bringing in the harvest in hot weather and needing somewhere to drink and wading in with white rhymes of sweat on their backs to cool off and drink their fill. I'm emerging from a field of golden wheat into a field of peas. Which are green and luscious looking. This field wasn't planted very long ago, still quite young, just about coming into flower. Looks like it's really enjoying the sunshine. And this field has also got a horse pond in it. From here it just looks like a circle of trees. But in the winter, when this field was fallow, I went in and had a look and there's a secret pond in there.
the heat is hammering down up here on the high ground and I'm just pausing for a moment in the shade of a, a large oak. It's one of those days where it feels like the landscape is kind of hushed and dumbstruck. It can't quite believe how hot it is, especially so early in the day. The sky overhead is a fierce blue, completely cloudless and empty of swifts. Those birds that you witnessed returning in episode six have gone but the birds I have just seen are three little partridges which popped out from the hedgerow and ran along the farm track in front of me for a little while and then have just disappeared again. The other thing I've just seen which made me smile is a scarecrow. They're still in use around here quite a lot and this one's been taken from its spot in the field and dumped rather ignominiously in the hedgerow face first and it's wearing a fluorescent onesie and a cap and the hood of the onesie is pulled over the cap and someone's drawn a smiley face on the face of the mannequin and it looks a lot like a rave casualty. You can see a photo of it if you like and in fact photos from every episode of the podcast on the website which is melissaharrison.co.uk forward slash podcast. My guest this week is Kat Frampton. She is an artist, the co-founder of the Society for Embroidered Work and she farms 30 Hebridean sheep and 25 Angus Hereford beef cattle on Dartmoor, which is a place that's really important to me. She and I first got in touch via Twitter a few years ago when um, I was bringing back into, into print a book called A Black Fox Running, which is my favourite book in the world. And she got in touch to let me know that on her farm she has one of the key locations in the book. And last year, uh, me and my friend Saskia um, went to visit it and Kat loaded us and our two dogs into a trailer and uh, took it up behind her uh, quad bike onto the high ground. And the dogs were not happy about this at all, either of them, and particularly Nora thought it was a terrible idea and jumped ship more than once. Hi. I've walked you up, right up to the top of our farm, so I'm looking down on it got in front of me a steep drop of fields into the bottom of the valley and then it rises up ahead of me. I've got hay tour ahead of me, I've got hound tour to one side, that's part of us too. Got Black Hill rising, pretty steep today, it looks just there like you could touch it. And then to my left I've got the expanse of Devon looking into Somerset. You can probably see 30 miles? Maybe, maybe further. Can see forever. It's raining over there in a couple of spots. I share this land. I share it not only with the animals we farm, the beef cattle and the small black sheep, but also with my husband, who might be able to hear on the quad bike, and my sister and my mother, and the memory of my father, and the memory of the lady who taught us to farm, bought the place in the 1930s. And before that, the Mortimers, who moved down to the South Hams in the 30s. And before them, the Frenches. And on back and back and back. This place is old. We've got Doomsday Book for sure. We've got the ruins of a medieval village. We've got Bronze Age settlements and Standing Stone. The fields are post-Roman, we think. 
I share this place with them and with things that live here too, the things that share with us, the birds and the beasts, the creepy crawlies and the plants, the trees. We share this place with generations of birds and birds that fly thousands of miles just to come here for the summer or the winter. I mean, the cuckoos, the cuckoos come here from Africa and they fly to this valley where they were born and where their ancestors were born. It stretches back and back and back and they do battle here with the meadow pipits, a life and death battle, and then they fly home again, back down to Africa. And I think I have to make sure that when they arrive, part of farming, part of this type of farming, I have to make sure that they have a home too, that when they turn up, bedraggled from their long journey, there's plenty to eat. It's good still. Farming with nature, it, it sounds well, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? And it's a thing we've forgotten to do. And it's a thing that people actively work against. But I share this land. I need to work with it. I'm right in among the farm buildings now. And they're a real motley collection. Behind me is a black timbered barn, which at some point has been painted with pitch and much repaired. It's got brick footings, as Suffolk barns usually do. In front of me is a building that is half brick and half sort of corrugated material with an arched corrugated roof. And bolted onto the end of that is a steel building, um, very new, very modern. I've got a, a round grey grain elevator behind me, and round the corner is a really old, um, tumble-down, ivy-clad part of the farm. And what brings all these different buildings together is the fact that they're all just here for use. They're not for show, and they're all beautiful in their own way. Cat Frampton, of course, is a livestock farmer, and this is an arable farm. But there's something I love about all farms, which is their sense of connection to the past, the feeling they give you of continuity. And Kat there talking about the, the names of the people that came before her, I found really resonant, especially at the moment. Before lockdown even started, I remember hearing someone on the radio say, that the world, the modern world, would be divided into pre-COVID and post-COVID times. And I remember hearing that and thinking, God, that sounds scary, but not really understanding it or believing that such a rupture could take place. And it's scary. We all love novelty. We know from marketing how powerful the word new is but the reason that we love novelty is because we have the safety of habit and continuity and um, a slow development from the past to rely on it's like the toddler who feels safe to explore because their mother's in the room 
and what's happening at the moment isn't a slow continuity, it's a, it's a break. And we don't know what's next. How many times have you found yourself saying, when things go back to normal, and then stopping yourself because you don't know if they will, and you don't know if you want that? We built a machine, and it's a, partly a financial machine, and it's partly a social machine, and class, and all sorts of other structures come into it. And that machine wants things to go back to normal, how they were before. And the continuity to resume would feel immensely relieving and comforting. But there was something wrong with before. I was about to start work on a novel, which I've had to bin now because... Partly because it would be read as a Covid novel, even though it wasn't. And partly because I don't know what future I'm writing into. I don't know who I'm addressing yet in the future. But in it, some kind of rupture would have occurred like this. And my main character would have spent a lot of time thinking about the strange world that we had built Things like £10,000 handbags, but £3 t-shirts, and cheap flights, and food with gold leaf on it, and intensive animal farming, and the gender wars, and drowning refugees. We know it went wrong, and I think lots of us don't want that back but we don't know what to build next. I keep reminding myself that the big machine that seems so unstoppable is only made of individuals. It's only made of you and me. So this podcast has been about change and changelessness. It's been about the seasons, things that we can count on to a degree. The predictable behaviour of animals and plants, the comfort in that. And for me, the enormous comfort in old places and old farms and old relationships with place built up over generations. How do we deal with that loss in continuity? I don't know, I think we just have to breathe through it. Not leap into something new or leap back to something old. Just keep breathing. This extract from my Times Nature Notebook goes way back to August 2014. In fact, it's the first one I ever wrote. All of my columns will be collected together and published by Faber in November as the stubborn light of things. The Times Nature Notebook, August 2014. Streatham's trees are in fine fettle, 
fruiting wildly, albeit largely ignored. Not far from our flat, a patch of pavement is covered in the purple skin, golden flesh and crunchy stones of the tiny sweet plums that have been raining down on it for a fortnight, unregarded. On my route to the bus stop, pears dangled promiscuously over a tall fence, and on a nearby strip of waste ground, a wilding apple, grown, I like to imagine, from a core thrown out of a passing car, will soon be ready to scrump. On Tooting Common, where my husband and I walk our rescue dog, Scout, the tangles of blackberries are already in heavy fruit, thanks to the recent mild winter, early spring and warm summer. A few people gather them, pushing circumspectly into the thickets with Tupperwares and sandwich bags, but mostly they rot on the briars. We have a damson tree in our garden and have already made crumble and five pots of jam. We spread out blankets, shake the trunk, and another two kilos of fruit tumbles down, sticky, split, and holding all of the trapped sweetness of summer. I miss the birds in August. I miss the dawn chorus, what we still have of it, given that an estimated 44 million British birds have been lost since 1966. I miss my local blackbird's ballsy evening performance from next door's gable. I miss the heart-stopping swift screaming and dogfighting above the streets. The breeding season is for the most part over. Few, except the bellicose robin, will defend territories over winter, so there is now little cause to sing. And, of course, many songsters, like our local thrushes, are in molt. Replacing an entire set of feathers takes energy and can even impede flight, making molting birds vulnerable. It's hardly any wonder they keep quiet. In August, rustles from the undergrowth are often all I hear of my avian neighbours. Soon their ranks will be swelled by migratory birds overwintering here from northern Europe. But not yet. August is a silent month. I'm not going to lie, it's baking hot and actually a little bit uncomfortable. So I'm just sitting down for a moment in some shade. You can hear grasshoppers around me. And a distant bird, I think is a nuthatch, might be wrong though. Sure, someone will tell me. And there's rose bay willow herb growing here. And the ancient dinosaur plant, horsetails, which is encrusted with silica, feels very strange to touch, and you can use it for cleaning silver and other things that need scrubbing. I'm looking at these gloriously golden August fields and thinking how fitting it is that this week's poem is Summer Farm by Norman McCaig and it's read for you by Lev Perikian, who you met as the guest on episode 15. After the poem, you'll hear Peter Rogers' beautiful music composed especially for this podcast and lots of people have been asking me where they can get hold of it and I'm incredibly proud to say that it will be released today, August the 3rd, on Bandcamp. So if you go to Bandcamp and search for Peter Rogers or The Stubborn Light of Things, you can buy it and keep it forever and listen to it whenever you want.
summer farm. Straw, like tame lightnings, lie about the grass and hang zigzag on hedges. Green as glass, the water in the horse trough shines. Nine ducks go wobbling by in two straight lines. A hen stares at nothing with one eye, then picks it up. Out of an empty sky, a swallow falls and, flickering through the barn, dives up again into the dizzy blue. I lie, not thinking, in the cool, soft grass, afraid of where a thought might take me, as this grasshopper with plated face unfolds his legs and finds himself in space. Self under self, a pile of selves, I stand threaded on time, and with metaphysic hand lift the farm like a lid, and see farm within farm, and in the centre, me.